0: Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I like doing things from time to time that create a, an adrenaline rush or buzz, if you will. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not the person who wants to jump off of a perfectly good bridge, bungee jump, or jump out of an airplane. I'll leave that to my wife. Uh, I'll just uh, I'll, I'll do other things that, that require a little bit of living life on the edge and adventuresome. Uh, I can remember one time that it created an adrenaline rush and a time of, uh, of soul searching was when we were living in Africa and we were uh, invited to come to a new village that had never heard the gospel. Uh, from what they told me, a white person had never even entered this village before, so they didn't know how I would be received coming in. Uh, obviously, warmly welcomed, but they'd never seen many of the children and other people had never seen a white person before, so it was going to be an interesting combination of me taking in this story of Jesus. And, and so as we were traveling out to the village of uh we came first of all to the Pondo. And Pondo had, had a little sign just by this little dirt patch of road, if you call it a road, and it said, landmines ahead. Now, that will stop you in the tracks a little bit and cause you to think, okay, do I go further or not? And that was a time in, uh, in my life, being uh, in my early, late 20s, and I thought... Uh, You know, God has called us here, we're going to go, and so I'm just going to stay on the well-worn paths, and so we went, and it was a beautiful experience, Uh, nobody was ever hurt at any point along the journey, we've even taken volunteer teams back there since then, and the beautiful thing is, is that there's now a church in Sienkwakwani, that there had never been a church before. Our church, Grace Point Church, helped to send uh, Gibson Muno, uh, the pastor there, to seminary. And so he's trained and he's now living in that village and and in that valley area. It's a beautiful story of God just working powerfully. But coming up on that landmine sign was a moment that kind of stops your heart a little bit, makes you think, do you go further and so forth. Well, this past week, a, a team of eight from uh, went to Southeast Asia, and we went to a communist country, and we were in this communist country where it's illegal to gather more than five people together in any one location, and we had a team of eight, so uh, without the government approval, so anyway, as we're there, it's kind of it's dicey, and as we're there to tell the story of Jesus, it's also illegal to pass out religious propaganda, so you've got a lot of tension there pulling at you, so we didn't pass out propaganda, we just told our story, the God story. Uh, inside of us and told it multiple times and saw beautiful uh, experiences and and, and engaging with some amazing people along the ride. But again, you have this adrenaline rush. Do I do it? Do I not do it? Should I do it? All this kind of stuff is going on. And God may ask you at times in your life to do something dangerous, but I really don't think he's going to ask you to do something stupid, all right? There's a difference between dangerous and stupid. Uh, Stupid is whenever you just are about to to mess up something in a big time way, and it's not for good or for His glory. All right, God may take you down this dangerous path; it may be costly in, in some respects, but He's not going to ask you to do something stupid. When you live on that stupid edge, that's a totally different edge than the edge that I'm sp- that, that I'm talking of here in the beginning. Uh, but I want to spend the rest of my time talking about the stupid edge because I'm afraid a lot of people live on that stupid edge. They live at that edge of when they when they they get as close as they can to the edge; they're not going to fall off. It's not going to be them. They'll never fall off. And then they get to the edge and then they slip. And they do fall. They don't know how far they're going to fall. They don't know how long it's going to take, but they fall and they fall. And finally, they land into this pool of regret, this pool of remorse. What was I thinking? Why did I do that? And I want us to be warned today, loud and clear, that as we get close, as we walk in this slippery world, that we need to beware of the slippery places that are out there. We need to be aware of the, the opportunities that are out there that can cause us to fall, fall long, fall hard, and fall with, into a pool of deep regret and remorse. And I want us to hear the warning signs, see the warning signs today, and not go down that road if we can at all avoid it. I don't believe that God wants us to live uh, on that kind of edge. In fact, Paul told Timothy, young Timothy, training him up in the faith, he's training him up and he says this, Timothy, you need to flee evil desires of the youth. Sometimes it's called, in other translations, youthful lust. You need to flee those. But at the same time, you're running from something. You need to run to something. And you need to pursue righteousness. So it's not just running from something and running aimlessly into this world, but it's running to something. As fast as you're going to run from, you need to run to. And do it passionately and do it with a lot of desire because the temptation is ever so slight, ever so subtle and ever so slippery, that you will find yourself one day, if you're not careful and aware of your surroundings, aware of your own heart, you'll find yourself in a mess, in deep regret. Psalm chapter 1 verse 1 shows us the digression that can happen in a person's life. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the, path, in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. You notice there the progression, the digression, if you will, into sin. First of all, you, you, you know, you're just walking around through life. Everyone's walking, going somewhere in life. And as you're walking through life, you experience Counsel, thoughts, ideas, philosophies that roam around out there, pretty soon you find yourself kind of thinking it, kind of walking that same kind of path. But then you'll find yourself standing. Then eventually you might even find yourself sitting in it. There's a there's a dangerous digression that happens. And if we are not very careful in watching our lives very closely, we'll find ourselves slipping. There was a, a pastor that was a mentor of mine early on in my ministry and I can remember one of the times, him him sharing with a bunch of young pastors, and I was fresh out of college, and he shared about a story of, of his time in college and, and how when he was in college, he had the same passions and the same desires and, and he had to watch them and he had to be aware of them all along the way. And he said this statement. He said he actually put it on, on, on his, uh, right in front of his, 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 uh, his study station in his dorm room. He said this, and I've, I've remembered it since that day. He who would not fall, Adrian Rogers said, he who would not fall ought not walk in slippery places. Not extremely profound, but yet at the same time, extremely simple. He who would not fall ought not walk in slippery places. If you don't want to fall, if you you don't want that 20-year, 30-year marriage to end, if you don't want that great career, and if you don't want that resources that you have, if you don't want your reputation to fail and fall and, and be marred, then you ought not get close to the edge and sacrifice it. They say everybody has a price tag. What's your price tag on your character? What's your price tag on your marriage? What's your price tag on your life out there? What's your price tag on your faith? What are you willing to cash it in for today? The book of Hebrews is written to believers as we've talked about. And as we've gone through this study, we've kind of kind of thematically hit the book of Hebrews. Well, there's one theme that runs throughout the book of Hebrews. And it is a, it's a theme of a slippery slope that the, 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 these Jewish believers were getting ever so close to. It's a slope of apostasy, of turning away from the faith, of slipping back and going back to the old ways of life. And so he calls them to attention. He says, listen, guys, listen, gals, you're going to have to hold on here. Because if you're not careful, you're going to fall. You're walking in very precarious territory right now. He says it in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, when he tells them to hold firmly to the confidence. In Hebrews thirteen and three fourteen, he says, to hold to the original convictions firmly. Let us hold unswaveringly to the hope we profess. The reality is, is that this world and the temptations of this world are so real, are so fresh, and are so in your heart and in my heart that we, we can't escape them. In fact, Temptations are unavoidable. Sin is unavoidable. Temptations are unavoidable. So they're out there. They're all around us and they're constantly pulling at us. And we're going to have to be very dil- diligent and vigilant to make sure we're holding firmly. We're holding in an unswavering fashion. Or as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, is that He tells us to let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. That last phrase. God has a race for you. He has a path for you. He has a, mar- he has a plan for you. He has a course uh, uh, for you. Now the question is, are you going to go on your course or his course? you Are going to do it your way or his way? And what he's challenging us here is don't, don't create your own path. Know his path he has for you, and then get on it and run at it and don't stop. Persevere through it. And the reality is, is that we have seen corporate world, we have seen it in the political world, you see it in the spiritual church world. People falling constantly, falling miserably, into that pool of regret, into that pool of remorse, into that pool of tears, where they think, "What did I? What was I thinking?" What was I doing? One of the great books that I read a few years back, is a sobering book by, by Jim Collins, How the Mighty Fall. Maybe you've read some of his works. Great, Great writer, great researcher, and puts things, I think, in a very simple way, but it was a sobering book. Because he didn't talk about how to move your company or your church or yourself from good to great. He talked about how these great, mighty companies, people, individuals, whatever, I applied it more to the individual, how they fail. They were great and mighty and powerful, but how did the mighty fall? And he talked about five different stages of decline. The very first stage of decline was this hubris born of success. This idea, and here it is in in the simplest way I can put it, is the idea when the company or the individuals who I apply it to or the church think that, hey, look at us. Look at me. I've made it. I've arrived. There's no way I'm going to fall. There's no way I'm going to allow my 21-year-old marriage to fall apart. There's no way that my character is ever going to be questioned. There's no way I'm going to be the one who makes the headlines tomorrow because I fell into sin. That ain't gonna happen to me. And when, that's the very first stage, when you think because you have done so much and you've accomplished so much and you're so successful and you, you're you able to, to smooth people and you're able to work it in the, the system. Listen, you are ripe. I am ripe. I am ripe for failure. I'm ripe to fall. In fact, Here's a verse for every one of us to, to, to memorize this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. I want you to read it out loud with me. Whoever thinks he is standing securely should watch out so he doesn't fall. The person in this room who thinks this message didn't apply to me I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to lose my home. I'm not going to lose my marriage. I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to. I have I have risen to a level that I am impenetrable. You're the one that I'm most concerned about. It's the person in this room that that really sees the reality that they could they're one decision away from stupid. That, that they're one phone call, they're one business move, they're one relationship away from causing all of it to crumble. Those are the people that will probably succeed. It's the person who thinks that they will not fail. They will always stand. They think they're standing securely. They should watch their feet below them lest they fall. I want us to talk today, a sobering message to say the least. I want us to talk about three slips on your way to a fall. Three slips from the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at three different passages of scripture, and as this, as this, this, this Christian body of believers is hearing this message from the writer of Hebrews, the challenge is: Listen, don't fall, don't com- don't don't commit apostasy and leave the faith. Don't do this. You've got to be careful. You're going to have to hold firmly. How are you going to do that? I think there's there's three warning signs for us today. One warning. Listen to this very carefully is whenever I or you play fast and loose with temptation. We see how close I can get without sinning. How close I can get into an emotional relationship without actually having the physical relationship. How close I can warm the books without cooking the books. How how close I can get to my expense reports uh, and still be legit, but yet it's still just about on the edge. Whenever nobody else knows about it and I'm just kind of playing around and I'm just getting as close as I can. Again, I've said said this before. You cannot avoid temptation, but you can avoid sin. Jesus models it for us. We see it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that he himself was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. So, if we follow the life of Christ, if we follow his example, if we lean in and listen in and watch him, we can't avoid this, this pitfall. But go to Hebrews chapter 10 now and I want us to look at what happens when, what does it look like when we're playing fast and loose around temptation instead of in a fearful respect of temptation. Hebrews chapter 10, I want to read some verses here. Verse 26 to start with. For if we... Go on sinning deliberately. All right, underscore those words. Go on sinning deliberately. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy. The evidence of two or three witnesses how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned, in some it says, trampled underfoot, spurned the Son of God, and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has, by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace? Now, there's several key phrases in there that I want you to see, and that first one is the idea of going on into this world and just sinning deliberately. Remember who he's talking to. He's not talking to the lost world. He's talking to the Christian world. Now, I'll tell you right now what bothers me. It bothers me in this world when I see unbelievers, lost people, people far from Christ living out this ungodly life that's out there. That bothers me. But in the end of the day, lost people are just merely acting like lost people. They're only doing what they know to do. They don't know any other light. There is no other light inside of them. But what repulses me is when Christians act and live like lost people. When they think that they can get by with it because nobody's watching, or they can play close to the fire, and they've never been burned yet, and they can just kind of do that. The problem with that is are some of the phrases that happens here. We trample underfoot the Son of God. You know what that phrase literally means? I actually did a word study on that, on that whole concept right there. Trample underfoot or spurned the Son of God. It means to take Jesus Christ, to throw him to the ground, and kick him in the teeth. Just spit on him. When I, as a Christian, go into this world and I think that, hey, I can do what I want to do, and and I don't have to answer anything. I'm the man of my house, I'm a I'm I'm an adult, I can do what I want to do, with no regard to to the principles and the and the precepts of God. Then literally I might as well take Jesus Christ, throw him to the ground, kick him in the teeth, and spit on him. That's literally what I'm doing. When I go on sinning deliberately. It also is talking about profane the blood of the covenant. That's when I presume upon the blood that, hey, after all, I'm once saved, always saved. After all, the blood of Christ will cover my, all my sins, right? I can, I can do what I want. I can enter into this relationship. I can, again, do what I want in these wherever it is, whatever area. I can look at that on my computer, and who even cares? I literally think that, that, that God's blood's just going to cover it all, and it's all going to wash it all away. I'm taking the blood of Christ, and I am presuming upon it. I am profaning it. I am making a mockery of it. But I think probably, I don't know which one of those is the worst, but the last one is pretty bad. And when I do that, I've outraged the spirit of grace. Spirit being in capital letters, speaking of a person. The Holy Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit of God is living in the heart of a believer. And so whenever I take God into the den of sin and stupidity, then what I am doing is I am taking the living, holy, righteous God with me into that. Nobody else may know about it. I may never get caught. But the reality is is I'm dragging God through it all. Romans 6, 12, 13 says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you will obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin or instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God. Listen, we're going to face temptation every single day, thoughts flying through our minds, things coming across our computers, temptations all around us. You can't avoid the temptation. Martin Luther said it like this. I think it was so simple and yet true. You can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep him from building a nest. All right? What are you going to focus on? What are you going to allow to reign inside of you? Heard of a businessman, and I don't know how he rationalized this. Family, committed to his family, married to one wife, married, had children, went to church, faithful on his job, faithful, on the ch- faithful at church. All, this, all these marks in the community would point to this man as being a model citizen, a model Christian. But he had this kind of rational, rational, rationalization going on inside of his mind that if he was at least 300 miles away from home, that his guard could go down and he could kind of do what he wanted. That he could kind of be in whatever relationship he wanted to be in basically what that would mean, if you lived in Northwest Arkansas, you couldn't do it in Kansas City, you couldn't do it in Tulsa, you couldn't do it in Little Rock. But if you were in, da- if you were in Dallas, or if you were in maybe uh, Chicago, or if you were in Atlanta, then hey, after all, no one will know then. And this man literally lived with the philosophy, even though he was a faithful, in every respect, from everybody's perspective, a faithful man, he was an unfaithful to God. What was he doing? He was playing fast and loose around temptation. It's a very slippery slope. Number two. The second slip that you might find yourself on if you're not careful is making short term decisions while ignoring long term consequences. Now, this, I'll tell you right now, when I started studying for the book of Hebrews, this series of messages. I started studying for it back in July. I was reading this passage in a hotel room, Hebrews chapter 12, so turn over there. And I was reading this in a hotel room and I can remember to this day where I was sitting, what I was feeling, what time of day, it was the middle of the day, all this kind of stuff because out of all of the passages that we studied, out of all the passages that I read through and studying through the book of Hebrews, getting ready for this, this is the verse. Out of all of them, I've been waiting all these months to share this one verse with you. Because this one verse right here is the one that slapped me around the most. It's the story of Esau and Jacob. You might know the story. Jacob uh, was the younger brother. He was a twin of Esau. He was born immediately after Esau. Esau was this hairy hunter man, this man's man, beat your chest kind of man. And, And Isaac, the father, really liked him. Now, the mother really liked Jacob. Esau was the firstborn, so regardless, he got all the blessings from the father. That was just the way the system was, like it or not like it. He got the blessings from the father. He was to be the heir. He was to be the patriarch. He was going to be Abraham, Isaac, Esau. Those were the patriarchs. Then it would go on into the, into the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel would continue to go. It was an ideal, beautiful legacy that he was to inherit. But he comes back, he is tired, he is hungry. And in this moment of weakness, Jacob seizes, and he says, listen, I have a bowl of hot lentil soup that I can offer you. And I'm giving you the paraphrased version. You can read Genesis chapter 25 on your own and get the full version. But he says, I'll offer you this bowl of lentil soup. That's all it was. It wasn't even anything. I don't even know what lentil soup is. I've never even had it. All right, it can't be that great. And so he's offering, he says, but you're going to have to give me your birthright. And you know what this Harry Hunter man-beating guy did? He took the short-term gain, sacrificing the long-term. He cashed it all in. And this is what his legacy is. And you find it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. And he talks there and he kind of lays into it before he gives the example. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up. We'll come back to the root of bitterness in a moment. It causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral. So he gives this list of things. He says, listen, make sure it's actually C2. It is actually a legal term that we would say like a court-ordered. So he says, this is a court-ordered thing. You don't want to do this. You don't want to let bitterness well up in you. You don't want to let immor- immorality well up inside of you. And you don't want to be unholy like Esau. How would you like to be the picture of compromise. He says, who sold his birthright for a single meal. You talk about sacrificing the long-term for the short-term, it's exactly what you have in the life of Esau. Listen, we have got to make long-term decisions. It may mean sacrificing today for what we want in the future and what is right and what is good, but but when we're not going to slip into this world of materialism, slip down this slope that will lead us into deep regret of immorality, slip uh, whatever slope it is that you might find yourself slipping on right now. Listen, think long-term. Think big picture. One of the things you might, you might notice is, is that you find Esau mentioned in chapter 12. You'll not find Esau mentioned in chapter 11. Chapter 11 is the hall of faith. Jacob is mentioned three times. Jacob assumes the place of Esau in the hall of faith. It's a very sad tale. But also in the Hall of Faith, you find a man named Moses. We'll come back to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 next week. But you find this beautiful story of Moses and Moses and how he grew up in Pharaoh's house. You know all the opportunity, the education, the plush lifestyle, the materialism, the, the, the food, the wealth, the women. He had it all. But Moses lived different than his ancestor Esau. He lived for the long term, not the short term, and he looked at a situation of injustice, and he put everything on the line. He put his, his position, he put the palace, he put his prestige, he put his future on the line. At 40 years of age, instead of just flying under the, under the radar, what he does is he stands up for the injustice, and he finds himself for the next 40 years wandering around in the desert herding sheep. Now, you might say, well, well, Moses failed. He should have just kind of flown under the radar. He should have just turned his head. He should have just gone on and let go on what was going on. But he stood up against it. He, he gave up everything in the palace. And here's the verse that is the most meaningful verse, I think, to me, since I was a teenager, is Hebrews 11:25, 25. When you find that Moses choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin the fleeting pleasures of sin. That came to my realization when I was in the 10th grade when I just came out of a season of sin in my life. And I realized then that, oh, I enjoyed the sin. Listen, I'm lying to you if I told you today that sin isn't pleasurable. That a hot, romantic relationship outside, oh, yeah, that's fun and exciting. That, 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 that extra money that you're scraping in or that, 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 that thing that's not exactly just and right and good that you're kind of doing, I, I, it is a lot of fun until you get caught. All right? That hot, fiery, sizzly relationship is fun until you get burned. That, 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 that envy that you're able to get back at somebody and revenge is sweet, we say, until you come home and the bitterness is still there. Remember, he started out talking about bitterness. The, don't let a root of bitterness get inside of you. You know what a root does? It just b- grows below the surface. It can grow for miles below the surface and every now and then it'll just pop up a, 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 lo- a little seedling, a little seedling all along the way. You can live your life with bitterness. For a lot of years. A lot of miles. And just every now and then that bitterness pop itself up. And revenge can be sweet only for a moment. Whatever it is in your life. Don't sacrifice the long term for the short term. So what happens to Esau? Well, again, he finds himself in chapter 12, not chapter 11. But look at verse 17. For you know... But afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, oh, the soup bowl's empty, it's gone cold now, the sensation, the momentary sensation is over, the satisfaction is gone, the, 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 the pleasure of sin is finished, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. See, the reality is, is that slippery slope that I talked about ends in a pool of tears and regret. Man, what was I thinking? And the greatness of God's grace is that it will forgive you of your sin, but it will many times not free you of your consequences. The consequences will still be there. Jacob did go on to become the patriarch. Esau never became the patriarch again. So just just be warned today, as all of us need to be warned today. That, that there's a slippery slope, and there's lots of slippery slopes out there. And if we don't look at the long term, we'll find ourselves in a short term. Pleasure, but long term consequences. Number three, and I'm finished. And that's being close enough to hear God's voice, but far away in obedience. You can sit in this room today. You can have your Bible in your living room at home playing Christian music piped in. And you can be listening to the voice of God. Speak to, his, speak to you through the Word, through other believers. You can sit in a body life group. You can be around other believers. But here's the thing. Just because you're around doesn't mean that it's making an impact in your life. If you have your Bibles, go back to chapter 3. And you find challenges in verse 7 and verse 8. Challenges down in verse 15 when he says this. Today... Chapter 3, verse 7 Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in rebellion. Don't harden your hearts. Verse 15 Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, the thing is is that there are people today longing to hear God's voice until they hear it, until he calls for a change, a redirection, a reprioritization. And then it's all of a sudden I have a selective hearing problem. All of a sudden, then I want to change the frequency. Are you sure God, surely God would not ask me to do that, give that, go there, do whatever. Surely God, and they, they harden their hearts, they close it off. They won't allow God to change them deeply in their hearts because they, they can hear him, but they close him off. There's a deep, deep danger in that. Jesus even made it very clear in John chapter 10. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. There is a direct corresponding relationship between hearing God and obeying God and being called a sheep, a child of God. Also, John chapter 14 verse 21 It says this. It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me is loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You might be wondering why God's not showing up in your life. It's not because God doesn't want to show up in your life. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he's the one that loves me. He's the one who loves me, and my Father will love him. And I will come and manifest myself to him. See, God wants to show up in your life. But when you don't listen to what he says, when I don't listen to what he says, when I selectively tune him out and do my own thing, call my own shots, I'm in trouble. And I'm sliding and I'm slipping into a pool of regret. So be forewarned as all of us need to be. I'm starting a series of the first of the year in the Ten Commandments. Not the most romantic series of messages, I have to admit. Because nobody likes to be told what to do. All right? Ten Commandments. But the reality is, these are great directional points for us. They're waypoints through life that will guide us and steer us through all of life. We can't miss these. In fact, I will say this: if you if you just realize from Deuteronomy chapter six verse two, you this is what Jesus uh, this is what excuse me the Lord said when, regarding His commandments. You and your children and grandchildren, we're actually going to give you tools to go home and talk with your children about these commandments. We're hoping that every family will learn these commandments and then live the commandments. He said this. He says if you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. God wants to give you a full and meaningful life, but he's gonna give it to you on his terms. And if I wanna be my own boss, be my own God, be my own master, then I'm gonna live on the slippery slope of that. Don't go there. It's dangerous. And it only leads you to a pull of regret and remorse i want to close by reading a quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great theologian of years gone by. He said it like this. He says, not to realize that you are in conflict means one, means one thing only. And it is that you are so hopelessly defeated and so knocked out as it were that you do not even know it. You are unconscious. It means that you are completely defeated by the devil. Anyone who is not aware of the fight and a conflict in a spiritual sense is, a drugged and hazardous, is in a drugged and hazardous condition. Listen, this is a wake-up call for every one of us to realize there's a battle, and it's a battle on a slippery slope, and we've got to play tight and clear, not fast and loose with temptation. And we've got to look at the long-term, not the short-term. Oh, it's sensation now, but it's regret tomorrow. You can talk to many relationships that will tell you that. But we don't learn because we don't hear. We harden our hearts. Would you bow your heads on me? Father, make, make us aware of a deep battle inside our hearts, awaken us, Lord. And Lord, if any of us are sliding right now, Lord, would we, would we instead of grabbing a hold of twigs and and things along the fall, Lord, would we re- reach out to You? And would You? rescue us from our own fall our own misery our own pool of tears as Esau faced himself Lord Jesus free us to live we know that's why you came you came 2,000 years ago as a babe Lord and we we rejoice in that but we rejoice not because you're just cute cuddly baby we rejoice because you came to give forgiveness and life and and hope and direction and freedom from the entanglements of this world. Lord, the temptations are everywhere around us. Help us to see the big picture. Help us to see your hand. Help us to flee the youthful lusts that are around us. And Lord, there may be changes that you're wanting to make in people's lives right in this room right now. Help them to do that before they leave today to make the change here and now, to follow you here and now, to make the rearrangement, the reprioritization here and now, so that when they leave here, they live free, and they leave with hope and direction on a path that you marked for them. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.